everyone. It's the day after a big midterm election. That might mean you are showing up here because you want to understand what the heck just happened. But this year, we're going to do things a little differently because we know that it might take a little time to get complete midterm results. Some ballots are probably still being counted. Some elections may end up in court. And that's why today we're bringing you something different, a show we're really proud of. All right, here we go. Here's what I picture when I think about the importance of elections, like the one we just finished up yesterday. I picture the scene that played out about a year ago in Austin, Texas. The House Select Committee on Constitutional Rights and Remedies will come to order. The clerk will call the roll. Chairman Ashby? Here. Vice Chair Thompson? This is a committee meeting in the Texas State Legislature, one of those very long, sometimes dull hearings that make up the bedrock of American democracy. And there are a lot of people here to testify. Representative Longoria? At this time, the chair lays out House Bill 25 by Representative Swanson and recognizes Representative Swanson to explain the bill. Everyone here has got something to say about House Bill 25. It's a trans kids in sports bill. First, the representative who wants to keep trans kids from competing lays out her case. This year, nine states passed legislation that protected safety and opportunities for girls and women in sports, and the list is quickly growing. When this representative is done, something pretty remarkable happens. Dozens of people get up to testify about why they think this bill is nonsense. I thank God my child was homeschooled and shielded from the bullying and trauma that happens in most public schools to trans children. I'm here to say, let them play. Today I come as an ally who was a former school board member, served 12 years, 12 years and a member of the athletic committee. We never had this as a problem. It's not a problem. It's not an issue. As a faith leader, I am speaking in opposition of HB 25, especially in light of the dangerous and violent and cruel ways that faith is often weaponized against trans people. I learned so much about God from our transgender siblings. So I want to- It takes more than eight hours to get through them all. Parents of trans kids get up. Teachers get up. At one point, a 10-year-old trans girl gets up. Today is picture day at school, but my... Instead, I had to come to Austin again to tell you, please do the right thing and vote no on this bill. I have listened to testimony given in support of this law, and it makes no sense. No one had any examples in Texas where trans kids like me hurt another kid playing sports, but I can tell you personally that even just trying to pass these bills has hurt real kids in Texas like me. The reason I think about this scene when I think about elections is because of what happened next, which is nothing. House Bill 25 got signed into law three weeks later, as if none of the people who showed up to testify had shown up at all. Listening back, that 10-year-old trans girl, Maya, she had this exchange with a lawmaker that I couldn't quite shake. She talks about how hard it is to testify, which she's done before. And then she says... When I try to fall asleep, sometimes I imagine having to leave my best friend, friends, cousins, family, etc. because of these laws. I imagine you guys are yelling and shouting at me to leave Texas because I'm trans and being myself. And that's not fair. One of the few Democrats in the room, a representative from Houston, speaks next. Thank you, Maya. 
Um, I've heard a couple people say that about leaving Texas. And would you do me a favor? You are what makes Texas good. And I don't want you to leave. Okay? The idea that you could feel so thoroughly haunted by a bunch of politicians that you abandon your home, it seemed wild to me. But that representative, she was right. A lot of people in the room that day were feeling out of options. The first time that it really was clear to me that we needed to be making some plans, just starting to do research, um, was when I got in my car after I testified in front of the House committee. This is Katie Laird. She was at that hearing, testifying about her trans son, Noah. And I just felt gross having walked through these hallways of people holding these horrific signs calling me, you know, a genital mutilator, people screaming at me who had seen me on the screen as I was testifying. It just felt rotten and gross and dirty. And I was like, we have to just have a plan B because I don't want my son to ever have to experience this. After that hearing, things got worse. Over the winter, Governor Abbott released guidance that encouraged Child Protective Services to investigate trans kids and their families. And after that, Doctors who'd been caring for Katie's son said they couldn't treat him anymore. That's when Katie's plan to leave began to take shape. She visited Vermont, considered California, but then she went to Colorado. Ultimately, I visited Colorado, and it was just that experience of a very visible, you know, trans and LGBTQ plus community, the pride flags, the existence of some really strong um, gender clinics for teenagers. I mean, we're, we're moving from a lovely neighborhood in Houston that had an ocean of Trump signs. And whenever I put our love is love uh, yard sign up, we got reported to the HOA and they made us take it down. <laughs> Homeowners so, Association? Yes, yes. So I, to me, it's like, if we've got to move, let's, let's get the things that we need. Let's be surrounded by the people that we need to love us. Um, and why not? Let's get into hiking. <laughs> so it was kind of a fun, that part of the decision was fun. <laughs> it was the first state to guarantee insurance coverage for gender affirming care, right? That's right. That's right. Katie and Noah left Houston behind over the summer, powered by a GoFundMe campaign. Katie's five-year-old stayed back in Texas with his dad. It was one of the hardest decisions of my life. And I still, every day, wonder how are we going to do this? Because, um, you know, as a mom, to leave one child, to take another child out of state, um, I mean, it just, it hits you hard. It really does. It's just, it's brutal. It's brutal. Some people might hear us talking and think, this is just one's, one family's choice. And obviously a family with some privilege, they can pick up and move. Mm-hmm. It's not like people are leaving in droves. I wonder what you'd say to them. You'd be surprised. Um, of the families that I know personally, so have a personal relationship with, just from the Houston area alone, We know five other families that currently live in the general Denver area. Five families have been forced to either completely pick up their lives or are living this 
fractured reality of half the family there, half the family here. And that's just me and my limited social circle in one city. It is much, much bigger. This, this flight, uh, much, much bigger. Today on the show, not every family can pick up and leave when their political leaders don't listen. But what happens when you do? I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Katie's son Noah is 16 now, a high school junior. I got him on the line because I wanted to understand their big move from his perspective, most of all. I don't know many teenagers who would sign up for a move like this one, in the best of circumstances. And his circumstances were not that. So I asked him to start at the beginning. Noah says he's never felt quite right with his assigned gender, and that he didn't really have a big coming-out process. He sort of eased into his new identity. And it started with a name change. I started going by Noah in the seventh grade, actually, because my friends looked on a baby naming website because I was the youngest of the group. Um, And I started telling my teachers that I was going by Noah and I started writing on like homework and just schoolwork all around with that name. But my mom saw the name on some of my papers and, and, and just questioned it. And at first I was really, really scared. Um, obviously not that anything bad would happen, not that I'd get in trouble or anything, but I didn't want to take away their little daughter, their little girl. At the time, you know, your mom notices you writing Noah on your schoolwork. Were you aware of the political conversation about being trans and trans kids? The most that I really knew about it at the time was that um, people were talking about having an all-gender type bathroom. I distinctly remember me and my, my dad going into a Target and us talking about how they wanted to have all-gender bathrooms in a Target, but that a lot of people were like kind of freaked out by it, and I didn't understand that until much later, that it was kind of for sad reasons at times. So yeah, that was really all I understood. And I also sort of kind of understood that like people thought that coming out in 2018 was almost like a weird trend. Like, oh, you're you're seeing this online. You're seeing it everywhere. Like, so this is something that you want to do, but it was not. <laughs> so you you were aware of people basically thinking... What you were feeling was faddish. Yeah. How was school as you were beginning to transition? Was it fine? Like, was it 
when you started writing a different name at the top of your papers, were your teachers like, okay? Uh, yeah, they didn't really care. I mean, I've like I'm always really thankful because I have pretty broad shoulders and I have thick eyebrows, so I was already pretty easily passing as male before I really even came out. Uh, I also always preferred to have shorter hair. Um, and like, whenever I told my teachers, they were like, yeah, not surprised, not not surprised at all. Um, and were totally okay with me changing my name up and uh, like would take a note on their attendance sheets um, that this was the name that I was going by. Everyone knew me by said name. He, him pronouns too? Yeah, and he, him pronouns. And no one really cared. And it wasn't until, unfortunately, it wasn't until high school that I was terrified. <laughs> what was it about high school that made you terrified? Um, There was just more and more bills and, like, talking about bills coming out going against trans kids and just a lot of stuff with child protective services that we were scared of. And like in schools, there's mandatory reporters all around. And unfortunately I have kind of a bad past with the SH and- With what? Like self-harm. Oh. Yeah, so if, if they were to see that, think that something was going on at home, and wanting to help for possibly the wrong intentions or the correct intentions, like it, it was just terrifying to be at school around people who could possibly take me away. Did you ever feel that directly? Like you say you got scared in high school. I'm sure it was all different teachers, people who were just getting to know you. Was there a vibe shift? I mean, yes and no. Hitting high school, like there were already kind of some weird issues that we were talking to about, like, with my principal, about, like, where can I go to use a bathroom, like, all this other stuff, because I was just personally scared of going to either the girl or the boy bathroom. Because the girls felt wrong and the boys, you worried about being safe? Yeah. And in the boys, I also was like scared that someone who already knew me and knew that I was trans would be like, no, you can't be in here because you don't have the correct part <laughs> to be in here. So what did your principal say when you said this is a concern of mine? Um, he told me I could use the nurse's bathroom and then basically everything else was unknown to him. And I don't think he still is knowing at all, which sucked. Do you think he felt stuck in some way, like between what people above him were telling him and kids like you? I don't know if he really cared. <laughs> Oof. Yeah. Do you remember when Governor Greg Abbott put this letter out instructing Child Protective Services to investigate families like yours? <laughs> I very, very, very much so remember that. What um, was your reaction at the time? Like, how'd you hear about it? <laughs> mom. Uh, <laughs> mom told me and, like, it was big hugs and just an awful, awful night when Greg Abbott sent out his letter. What I came home with my partner 
and like mom was trying to keep it together and like as soon as my partner Mazzy left like I immediately asked my mom like hey what's happening what what happened this time (laughs) it sounds like you had already been worried about being in school you knew that you know teachers might notice that you were in distress and possibly blame you and your family for it did it feel safe to go back to school with all the mandated reporters Last year in Texas, I I skipped a lot of school, and there's there's I remember there's this one particular corner down this long long hallway that basically no one went down except the people who were skipping, and like I uh, I get overwhelmed really easily, and I get I can get really dissociative, and basically everything just gets really loud. So I have to step out and like breathe or take a walk. So what I do is I go down into this hallway, into this, into this corner. Um, and I would just be on my laptop doing work. So I, I, I was still doing the work that I needed to do. Um, like that was more or less how I just kind of got out of it more than anything. I also took a lot of days off because I was just scared to be there and stressed out and very, very anxious to be around a bunch of people when this is on my mind, like all the time. When did you start thinking about leaving Texas? Like, was it your idea or your mom's? Oh, it was definitely mom's idea. Were you enthusiastic? Like I saw at some point you spoke to a reporter and and you said leaving forever made you want to cry and curl up into a ball yeah still does <laughs> um it's painful because that is everything that is my entire family that i'm really close to that is all my friends that i've ever met ever seen you mean texas is yeah in texas and that is also my partner of over one year and that was the most painful and hard thing i've ever had to do is to say goodbye and leave completely when we come back Life after Texas. How easy was it to adjust to Colorado, like new school, new kids? Did you know anyone? No, I knew absolutely no one. Did the school feel different when you walked in? Oh yeah, much different. Um, First of all, I could have my preferred name on like my my transcripts and stuff, and on my ID. Um, at At my school in Texas, my preferred name was in quotations right next to my legal name. Um, So no longer having to see that was amazing. Has anyone ever? questioned you about the trans stuff um they've questioned me just about texas stuff about like how that was basically most of the questions that you've asked me is like 
how it was coming out in Texas. It's funny, one of my good friends here moved from Florida recently so we can share our war stories. Are they trans too? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, what, on like the second or third day of school this year, I was super excited and I told my mom that there were three trans girls and like all my friends are trans. And like, I was super excited to tell her because that has never happened before. Like, it was just crazy to see like, oh my God, look at these other teenagers who are really close to age with me, like coming out as a girl when that is really hard or coming out as a boy, which is also really hard. You must have had friends back in Texas who needed to stay. Like not everyone can move. Oh yeah, my best friend, um, who's also trans and unfortunately does not have a family like mine, he has to stay and moving has never been upon the subject or topic for them to be talking about because they almost completely deny the fact that he even is trans really. How often are you in touch with your friend? Not as much as I'd like. I mean, we're very much into like sending each other videos and memes or funny photos, but both of us can get into like really depressive states. So we kind of self-isolate. And I think currently, actually, unfortunately, he is in that area. Um, So he's not really reached out all that much um, and replies very shortly. Does that scare you? Um, yes. It Sometimes it scares me because I think like, oh, his parents grounded him. Uh, and other times it's, it's scary because like, I want him, I want him to be safe and I need him to be safe. So I don't know if he is safe or not when he doesn't respond. Has he considered, I don't even know how to say this, but like detransitioning for safety? Like saying like, okay, I guess in school I have to do X, Y, Z, even if that makes me feel wrong and dysphoric. I'm sure he has considered it because I have considered it. But at some point you just kind of stop caring and like you just, you just can't help it anymore. And which is painful because you could get into trouble for wanting to be yourself somehow which is still really stupid to me um but he just wants to be comfortable with himself and the people who do accept him he uh, like the people who do accept him make him happy and make him feel stronger but then like he just has to deal with the other people who don't accept him. I wonder if you have like an alternate timeline in your head, a a version of you that stayed in Texas and whether you ever wonder about that person and how they're doing. (laughs) Um, Actually, I've been kind of thinking about that topic a lot. Um, I wouldn't say stayed in Texas because I try to remind some some specific family members that like I am still the same person um but I mean I think 
it's definitely just a huge part of my heart that has stayed with my family and just wanting to be there with them. Do you think about going back? Like forever or for visits? Either. Both. Forever, I don't think will ever be a possibility again because I don't think it will... I don't think they'll change fast enough for it to be safe even when I'm in my 20s or 30s. God, that's sad. You sound like when you hear stories of immigrants who left somewhere after a flood or a tragedy and they have to migrate, but they don't really want to. I mean, that's that's what it feels like. It feels like, really, it feels like life or death where we need to be able to run away. And that's that's kind of what we did is we ran away as quickly as we could to be safe. Yeah. Noah, I'm so glad that you've found a spot that's working for you. But I'm sad that you had to leave a place you love to do it. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> All right, that's the show. What Next is produced by Alana Schwartz, Carmel Delshad, and Madeline Ducharme. We are getting a ton of support right now from Anna Phillips, Jared Downing, Victoria Dominguez, and Colton Salas. We are led by Alicia Montgomery and Joanne Levine. And I'm Mary Harris. You can go track me down on Twitter, say hello. I'm at Mary's desk. Yeah, I'm still there. All right, thanks for listening. I'll catch you tomorrow. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.